Hello, my name is Isaac. I'm part of ANC Students, and I will be reading Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 50. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. for that uh, wonderful reading of our scripture passage today. Uh, good morning, ANC. My name is Jeff, and I get the privilege of wrapping up our series on the parables. And for the past few weeks, I hope you've been challenged with new ways of interpreting old stories that you may or may not have grown up with. And this is why I love the scriptures, because no matter how many times we've read a particular passage, the Spirit is able and willing to open us up to revelatory and life-changing ideas every single time. And today, we're actually going to look at these three short parables that you just heard Isaac read. And, you know, one of the things I was trying to do is when you have three parables and Jesus kind of reads them all together, you, you, you think that there may be some common thread that is kind of weaving through them. And as I kept reading them and I kept trying to find this common thread, the one thing I kept coming back to is hope. It's hope. But today's parables are about a special kind of hope. You know, this special kind of hope uh, is something that is unique to the b biblical witness. And uh, unfortunately, it comes with quite a controversial topic uh, that, in my experience, churches tend to either talk about it too much or they don't talk about it at all. It's always an extreme. And what I'm talking about is this idea or this theology called eschatology. Uh, that's kind of what our parables bring about today. And eschatology, if you don't know what it means, it's basically that part of theology that, bring, that talks about heaven, hell, and the last things. And it may be because we've had such a horrible history with it, and that's why we kind of avoid talking about it. And uh, many of you, including myself, have had some experience of attending a church where you were reminded of just the fiery torment of hell, right, and, and your place in it. Uh, unless you performed certain rituals and lived a particular lifestyle or, or did something in particular, uh, that's where you are going to end up. And we heard it every Sunday, and basically we just got sick of it, and it infected our souls. And uh, per perhaps that's what put us off to it. And, but the truth is that a proper uh, eschatology uh, isn't about punishment. 
about hope. See, one of my favorite uh, Latin American theologians, his name is Justo Gonzalez, he introduced me to a theology that he called manana, which is sort of a, a Christian theology from a Hispanic perspective. And Hispanics who live in the spirit of manana are a people who live with the hope of a better tomorrow. These people are usually poor, they're, they're oppressed, they're marginalized. They, they are the ones who have been silenced and taught to be silent and almost seen as expendable. You see, the word manana translated into the English means tomorrow, but uh, there can be a deeper meaning to it than that. See, a person who yearns for manana is a person who is dissatisfied with their current reality. See, their current reality has failed them as human beings. They're a person who hopes for a better reality in the future. Manana is an indictment on today. Today just doesn't work for some people. There's too much racism. There's too much poverty. Uh, there's all these things going on that just prevent people from just feeling uh, like just a human being. I recently read an article about, uh, describes about how COVID uh, has actually exacerbated the economic divide. The article describes how upper middle class people are doing fine, how billionaires are getting richer, and everyone kind of uh, maybe like lower middle class and below, they're struggling. They're struggling in this time, and, and how can that be? How can we have such an economic divide in, in a country where there's so much wealth? And I read another article that really uh, kind of cut me to the core that featured two uh, young girls who uh, were nearly taken from their mother by CPS in Los Angeles because they were found sitting outside uh, a Taco Bell alone. See, what they were doing is they were doing their schoolwork because uh, school has gone virtual and they didn't have access to internet at home. And they were Hispanic and they were just doing what they could to get their schoolwork done. Their mom was a single mom, probably that had to go to work, and that's all they were doing. And their family almost got torn apart just because they didn't have access to Internet, something you and I take for granted each and every day. See, when today sucks, manana is all we have to hope for. And why not? I mean, didn't Jesus give us that hope? In a parable that you heard Isaac read today, we, we are presented with a description of uh, a kingdom of the heavens, which is a, a more literal translation of the Greek. Uh, and this kingdom is apparently more valuable than what we currently have in our possession, what is today. And it's so valuable that we would do anything to have it, by hook or by crook, Right? I mean, think about it. This person in a parable finds a treasure in a field, hides it, then goes to sell all that he has and buys the field. So he's a thief, right? I mean, he deceived the landowner by not disclosing the existence of the treasure. And what was this person doing digging in someone else's field? 
I mean, what would you do if you were sitting at your kitchen table or uh, somewhere and you looked outside your backyard and there's this stranger just digging in your backyard? And, and maybe they found a treasure, they found some gold, and they convinced you to sell them uh, your land. And then after that happens, uh, you learn that that person had actually discovered gold there. Wouldn't you feel cheated? Maybe this person, there are some scholars who believe this person who found the treasure in the field was a servant, but then how would a servant be able to afford to buy a field? So that kind of didn't make sense to me. But while all those questions are interesting, uh, I think Jesus is actually pointing us to the fact that the treasure is so valuable, or this kingdom of the heavens is so valuable, that giving up all that we have is worth obtaining it. People who are marginalized or oppressed, uh, considered to be of lower status, have dreams of the manana, which requires an act of hope that subverts the existing order. And in this parable of the treasure, the one who finds the treasure has to make their own way in order to possess it. Laws of ownership are of no concern to him. Who really owns the treasure? Uh, Is it the person who found it or is it the person whose land it was on, uh, that owned the land that it was on? It doesn't matter. The finer engages in an active form of hope to be liberated from their current reality, and they did whatever they had to do to accomplish this. And as I read this story, uh, not through my own lens, but through the lens of this uh, manana or Hispanic theology, I was reminded of uh, our mar- our, the Hispanics, the people who are marginalized. I was reminded of our immigrant friends and refugees. How can people accuse them of wrongdoing and criminalizing them, especially if they call themselves Christian and are reading this parable? I mean, wasn't Jesus just telling us that it's okay to go to any lengths to obtain the promise of the treasure? And not just okay, but encouraged. How can we villainize these people for pursuing a treasure founded in the hope of manana at all costs? They cross rivers, they endure robberies and murderers and rapists, and they get exploited, and they have to go through so many trials in this journey. And then when they actually make it to our border and they make it here and they think they've done it and they've survived, what we do is we criminalize them, we throw them in cages, and we call them bad. Shame on us. Shame on us for not opening our arms wide and saying, you've made it, you've done it. The parable of the merchant is similar, but not quite. Uh, In this parable, the kingdom of the heavens is personified by the merchant instead of the sought-after treasure. If the kingdom is the merchant, who, who or what is the fine pearl that is being sought? Is it us? Maybe. For people who place this hope in manana, it is a comfort and a life-changing experience to be actively sought after. 
This merchant sells all that he has to buy the pearl. And when you are regarded as a criminal for simply seeking a better life for your family or regarded as a nuisance because you have to be on welfare because even though you have two jobs, it's still not enough for you to provide for your family. Uh, When you are disregarded because of the color of your skin, it is life-changing to know that you are sought after. That you are loved beyond belief. But there's something different here. There's something different about this love. See, love has become more than an idea. It has become active, like, like in the parable of the sheep that we studied earlier in the series. I have a friend named Adam, and he wrote in his book, and one of the good ideas that he had, he wrote, uh, when love becomes an idea, then the concept of loving well gets watered down. It gets expressed as behaviors that are deemed nice, positive, and pleasant. And Christians love showing love that is nice, positive, and pleasant, right? But let me tell you, God's love for us is anything but pleasant. It is fierce. It is passionate. It is chaotic and unnerving. It is a love that is willing to forego everything to be with us. And for the people that put their hope in Mayana, that is identity shaping. It is a validation of their worth as human beings. And when you live in a society that devalues who you are, to know that you are valued and considered worth more than anything gives you hope and strength to keep going. And we need this hope. We need this kind of hope. As uh, one of my favorite theologians, Gustavo Gutierrez, once said, that hope emerges as the key to human existence oriented toward the future because it transforms the present. In God's active and present love and acceptance, fuel the fires of that not-yet-consciousness that we call hope. For if we, if we, living today, if we plan to change the course of human history in light of a better future for everyone, not just for the privileged, not just for a special kind of people, but for everyone, we need the conscious action of hope. And finally, is that parable of the, of the net, or in the Greek, the dragnet. And, you know, this is a hard one. I was reading through this, and I was thinking, how, how, do, I, how do I deal with this one? But I know at ANC, we don't like to shy away from difficult passages. So uh, here we go, because this, in this parable, we're giving the image of exclusiveness. In a place with fire and gnashing of teeth. And like I said, we tend to avoid these passages for the most part because they, they are scarring. Some people have deep scars because they've been read these sort of passages all their life. And this is all they've been taught. And I'm not here to argue for or against the existence of a place with fire and gnashing of teeth. Uh, that's not my place or my thing to do here right now. But... Uh, Because this is a devastating piece of scripture for a lot of people. And it brings up a lot of pain. You know, maybe you grew up in a church. That's what passages that they spoke every Sunday. I mean, I know that I attended churches that 
or like that. And um, maybe you were told that you belong in such a place because of who you are and or the choices that you've made. Um, and that can hurt. And, and I'm sorry. You know, and, and I think that... Uh, but here's the thing that I think that for a people who have been oppressed and experienced being excluded uh, themselves their whole life, uh, this passage can actually bring a sense of hope and justice for them. And that's hard for me to say, but, uh, you know, the thing is they've finally been accepted. When Jesus preached this parable to a group of people uh, that may have felt like they're on, may have been made to feel like they're on the fringes. Um, maybe they finally felt accepted. That they've finally been given a position of honor. They were not cast away as some nuisance or and refuge. They were actually given a seat at the table. And for those, but for those that caused them pain. Those that have exploited them, that have exploited workers for their own gain, those that have actually engaged in violating other bodies for this, their own sense of pleasure or superiority, they will be met with a form of justice. It's hard to live in a world where you have been wronged and you never get to see justice. And the people who live in the spirit of manana, they know this all too well. Many of them die and they never get to see justice. And they only hope that their kids one day or their grandkids might see a form of justice for themselves. Even if it is only until manana. See, hope. Hope is the most human of all emotions, and it's also the most liberating. See, a hope that is projected into the future, into manana, and assumes a concrete kind of utopic function, mobilizes human action, and is able to transform the present that we have today. The hope in manana, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't limit itself to simply words. It's not just about words and explaining what exists, but what it does is it brings about this revelation uh, that speaks to us about a God who comes to meet us and whom we can only await an act of hope. The present day-to-day that doesn't work for a lot of people is then challenged by the promise of the resurrected Christ, and we are liberated from these narrow limits of the present, and we can think and act completely in terms of what is to come. And actually, I would be remiss if I, if I didn't uh, add this part to it. That, uh, so when I told Jason that I, uh, that I wanted to preach on these parables, I, I really had no idea that I would land on hope. Um, because I've read these parables hundreds of times before, and I just didn't. But you know what? I, I, I think uh, more so it's something that I needed to hear. Can I ask you a question? How, how's your hope? How's your hope doing right now? In these difficult, uncertain times, how's your hope? And to be honest, my hope right now is, uh, is pretty down in the dumps. It's been a rough few months, and 
hell, it's been a rough year. Some of you feel the same way. You're just tired. You're tired of our present existence and what things that are going on. You're tired of all the senseless murders attributed to skin color. You're tired of all the politics that seemingly are ruining our country. You're tired of all the debates on social media and in the news. You're tired of all the bad stuff that just keeps happening in your own personal life, whether it's family, whether it's with friends, whether it's just in your inner self. You're just tired. This biblical notion of hope that I hopefully presented you with today, it's for people who are intimately acquainted with suffering. In whatever shape or form that may be uh, today, or maybe you've been experiencing a form of suffering your whole life, and, uh, you know, maybe you're still going through it now, and and, and I'm sorry, because, you know, I, I feel it too. But maybe like me, you needed to hear about a kingdom of the heavens that is so valuable and so beautiful and wonderful that well, there will be no more pain or no more crying and that there's something that to look forward to. Maybe you needed to hear about a chaotic and unwavering and passionate love of God that is actively pursuing you and doesn't give up because you are the finest of pearls. You needed to hear that somewhere at some point. Maybe you just needed to hear that sometime, at some point in your life, you will see justice done. So church, may we pursue a shalom, which means wholeness for ourselves and our souls. May we pursue justice for our neighbors and mercy and liberation with the same fierceness and abandonment that we saw in the thief who bought the field and the merchant searching for the finest of pearls and and in people like our immigrant friends who are probably one of the best examples we have today of what it actually means to be willing to forsake it all for the promise of a better future. We're willing to forsake it all for the promise of that Christ gives us for manana. Let us pray. Gracious God, we, we come to you with bended knee and open hearts in a spirit that calls out to you and is just yearning for relief, for liberation, from pain, from suffering, from injustice, from everything that we see in the world. It's not easy to read some of these parables. It's not easy sometimes to read your words, but allow us to see the hope that is founded in them and allow that hope to captivate our spirits and to... Send us into a form of action in our own lives and for the lives of others. Help us to be compassionate. Help us to be in solidarity with, uh, our, with people who are marginalized, who are oppressed, who need someone to stand by them. Help us to be in solidarity with people who are intimately acquainted with suffering right now, who've experienced loss and who continually just find it difficult to wake up in the morning. Help us to be there for them. Help us to be there for each other. Let this promise, let this hope envelop us and just send us forward into a better future.
into that beautiful promise of manana that you have desperately promised us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.